Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Ann and Ellis Podcast. No, God, please, no! Here we are. We are here. We are. It's, you know, it. I don't know how long it took us to get on recording because it's real life. And we would tell people what we're kind of dealing with behind the scenes. Yes. We want to look cool and like we've got it all together. Well, I think we <laughs> should be transparent because that's how we roll here yeah. at, at Ananella. So we built this studio out. At your place. It's in my home, which is awesome. Yeah. We had the room. So this let's do it. was Ashton's old room, right? Well, it's been everybody's. Okay. It was Ashton's originally, then Jack's. Yeah. But yeah. So well, we were, okay. we were talking a, a couple months ago and we're like, well, recording this at Ashton Hill just isn't going to work. Um, so we were over at your place, Melissa and I and Nikki. I think we were here for like a strategy meeting or something. Yeah. I went to the bathroom and I'm walking and I'm like, well, here's an empty room. And then you're like, should we build one in here? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we should. I'm going to take you up on that offer like right now. So um, now having a studio at a residence comes with a lot of different factors. One being your bulldog. My dog who peed on the floor or just a little bit ago. Yeah. And David and David are here helping us today, which is amazing. Yeah. And one of them, David currently is sitting blocking the door because the dog keeps trying to get He's in. Coming in like a bulldog. And ramming sure. his head against the door and crying and panting. He's, and he's so. relentless. So, uh, David, you thank you for your service today. We appreciate thank it. Yeah, we've got David and David. We got to come up with some sort of like maybe last name. So David, his last name is Titus. We've got David Schulte. Both stellar DJs. Yeah. Great. That awesome are that, that do stuff for Ann and Ellis from time to time, but are also doing their own thing too, which is great. But um Schulte, Titus and Schulte. That sounds like a that sounds like yeah. a Netflix episode, like a uh like an episodic like criminal like yeah uh, like two two cops that are like Yeah. Have you watched season two of T Titus, Titus and Schulte? Schulte? No, I gotta catch up on that. Titus and Schulte. So anyways, they will be helping us out from, yeah. from time to time, um, running the board and just helping produce the show. So thank you both for yeah. being here. Thanks Andy. for being Very here. Thanks for it. putting up with the chaos. I honestly just always love being transparent because I don't ever want people yeah. to think that anything you do is like easier. You've got it all figured out. It's all a learning game for sure. Yes. So. And then the last thing we were dealing with, well, number one, I forgot the SD cards. So I ran to Best Buy to grab an SD card, uh, the solid state hard drive that records everything from the show directly into it. I left at my house. So Dave and, uh, stopped at my house this morning and grabbed it since I was here. And then my daughter, Isla, I had to send downstairs to get the hard drive and she, I had her on FaceTime and I'm like, okay, so follow that cord to the back of the Mac and then pull it out. And she's like pulling it out by the cord. No, 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 no. But get your fingers close to where it's actually plugged in. And she's just giving me the eye rolls. Dad, how do you, how do you forget these things? It's like, listen, oh. 
I already hear that from your mother. I don't need to hear that from you, young lady at eight years old. So I love her. got the hard drive. You got the SD card. <clears throat> we got the cameras rolling. <clears throat> we got the allergies going today. Um, we're set. We're ready to rock. We're ready to rock. Ready to rock and roll. Oh, so excuse me. There is a topic that we wanted to talk about. Um, again, most of what we talk about is like conversations we're having either with each other, our team, other professionals. And then we just say, we need to talk about this to everybody. We need to share it. Right. Yeah. Because we know if we're talking about it as wedding professionals, you're talking about it. Yes. Too. Um, we're going to talk about pricing, how to price yourself, uh, what to do online, you know, packages, all the things we're going to hit on all of that today. And Maybe not give you the firm answer, but maybe give you some perspective, some thoughts, um, share some conversations that we've had around pricing. Yeah. And this conversation stemmed from a direct message we received in our, uh, through Instagram. And it is from an individual uh, from here locally. And she does uh, some decor stuff. And uh, I'm, I don't know if she wants to stay anonymous or not, but I'm not going to mention her name. But sure. um, she messaged us, I think, two and a half weeks ago. And so we were in the midst of getting the studio put together. And I'm like, I, I, we'll, we'll absolutely get to this because I think it's it's such a great topic. And ultimately, her question was, should you put pricing on your website? Why or why not? Um, I would love to hear your thoughts mm-hmm. about that because I think she's maybe struggling with the fact that like, if I put my pricing on my website, is that going to scare people away? Yeah, sure. I, I think, I think the overall opinion of that is, can I meet, not only will that maybe scare people away, but will it put me in a position where I can still sell the value in which I do? So 100%. let's hear your thoughts on that first. And I have mine. So this is, I would have told you six months ago before having some deeper conversations with other vendors. Absolutely. Because you want to kind of weed out people who are price shopping, who, who are, or aren't for you based on where you want to price. However, I have heard some really valued arguments for not. So I would say it's subjective. Mm-hmm. I would say, um, and it depends on what part of this industry you're in. Florists don't put their pricing online typically because yeah. they're building, you know, a custom creation, Right. So the things that make me think that you shouldn't put your your pricing online is if you're building something from the ground up and you don't have a way to give an accurate price until you know exactly what the client wants. So that's if you want to give some hint of where you want to start or if you are not interested in taking orders or doing business for less than a certain dollar amount, you could say minimum of starting at, yep. right? Those are great. That's great language to use. The other times that you shouldn't would be is if you're pricing, there's two other times, your pricing needs a lot more explanation. So I don't know about her, but it might be that, hey, if you want this versus this, it's going to be a different price. If you want me to deliver this versus you pick it up, like, I think maybe you'd say, you know, again, a starting at. So because people can get really lost and confused if you just put a blanket price and it could be vastly different depending on the services that you provide. Right. If that makes sense. So that would be another category. If your pricing needs a lot of explanation and there's a lot of variables, then maybe don't. Maybe do a starting at. The third time not to, and um, there's a DJ with all the DJs in the room. Um, that doesn't. And he's one of the highest priced DJs we have in the area. And he, in one of our masterminds said, I don't because I would scare everybody away, but mm-hmm. I can sell my price just 
expertly and I have no problem booking, but I explain it um, in a consultation. Yeah. And he doesn't mind. He said, I don't mind getting maybe more people that I have to vet out than I would have if I, you know, had my pricing. And so I said, okay, that's a valid reason. If you, once you sit down and talk to a client, yes, you're the most expensive or one of the most expensive photographers or DJs or cinematographers. And if your price would be sticker shock, if, if you would, if you're the highest there is in the market, you may want to consider not. If you can successfully sell it when you're talking to somebody, then maybe don't, right? Because you will lose a lot of people if they just see the sticker, right? Yeah. They just yeah. see the price tag. Um, but when they talk to you, they understand the value. So he does that and he does really, really well with that. Yeah, I don't disagree with anything you said. Um, because to your point, it all very much depends on what you're selling. Yes. As you mentioned, florist, caterer, uh, a decor company, a design company. Mm -hmm. A decor company, I think you could be pretty cut and dry on. Here's what it costs to rent uh, per piece, or here's this backdrop. Um, on my website, as far as my DJ website, I will put... And the same goes for an email that I send out when I receive an inquiry is prices. Most clients end up spending right about this. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Just to give them an idea of what it's going to cost. Because what I don't want specifically in today's world is my time to be wasted. Mm -hmm. Number one. And number two, I would say equally speaking, a client's time to be wasted. Sure. The last thing I want is to get, on a phone call or a zoom call or have an in-person meeting with somebody whose budget is a thousand dollars for a DJ or $850 for a DJ when my price is going to be double, sometimes triple that depending on how much time they're going to want with me. I try, and I, I think I maybe told her this. I don't know if I even, I think I just responded saying, we'll talk about it, but my line of, of, of thinking and, and my, mindset, I guess, in regards to pricing on a website is that how would I want to navigate pricing as a consumer? Mm -hmm. If we know one thing is true, which is people want to know how much things cost, how can you deliver that in a way where you aren't scaring them away, but you're also refining the demographic that you want to be attracted to you mm -hmm. as a business? And so not putting anything, not putting any pricing on the website, I think it's just going to result in maybe more work and more communication that you have to convey to a client. But if you can give them a ballpark, or again, most clients end up spending right about this dollar amount, is a great place to start. The the categories I mentioned, I think are probably 10% of our market that where you shouldn't put your pricing on there, I think you know, 90% of us should. Yeah. 90% of us should because I think it really, again, like you said, establishes your your value. It uh, weeds out people who can't afford you. Again, waste of your time, waste of their time. Mm -hmm. um, I can tell you as a venue owner, because we're one of the places that sees the client first, book their venue. You know, the next question is budget. 
I mean, every single time, regardless of their budget, they want to know what people are spending or what things cost. So it is a massive driving factor in them looking for vendors. And so there's such a small section of us that shouldn't put our pricing. Again, you've got to find what works for you. Like that particular DJ that works for him. That's a little counterintuitive to what I think most people should do, but he tested the waters and that works for him. So, um, I would say put your pricing or at least a starting point, or like you said, a a range. Yeah. I just, it would annoy me if I'm planning a wedding or, I mean, imagine if you're on a trip somewhere and somebody's asking you, uh, where you want to eat that night and you are obviously going to Google all the restaurants that are nearby. And then you're going to ask your husband or wife or girlfriend or boyfriend or whoever. And you're going to say, so like, what are you in the mood for? And do you want to go somewhere kind of like fancy or somewhere casual? And then you start to kind of refine your search a little bit, right? And then if you're anything like me, I'm always going online to see if they have a menu to see what they offer, but just kind of see the pricing. Like I'm not in the mood to drop (laughs) 200 and some dollars on a meal tonight. We just ate three hours ago. We probably don't need to go to this level, but we can find something that's more of like a sports bar. Yeah. And they're very upfront about what their costs are because I I, I don't know. I, I think... I keep saying it leads to a bigger conversation because it does lead to a bigger conversation. You have to look at the same buying habits and um, an overall demographic that you're wanting to attract as a business. Absolutely. And when I see um, whether it's like new coordinators or brand spank and new wedding planners where they will say things and they're even like in their name of their business, like budget brides and this and that. And it's like, is that an Avenue you could go down and, you know, uh, work with individuals that are truly on a very conservative budget. Sure. You could, but in my experience, 17 years later as a DJ, I can tell you working with clients that can that are, that are going way outside of their budget to get you there. There's such a fine line between them being very appreciative that, that you're able to do the things that you're doing for them versus the other side of that coin, which is we paid this much and we expect this and this and this and this and this, and and I don't want to work with those kind of clients. No offense to like their budget or income. It has nothing to do with that. It's just, Again, it's no different than when somebody goes and buys an Audi or a Lexus or a BMW. You know what it's going to cost, most likely. Right. You know it's going to be a different price point than something like a Kia or a Honda. or That's a great car. Right. It'll last forever. But this is a completely different experience. Your expectations are so much different. My husband just bought a new car. And, yes, he did. Uh, he did. Yes, yes, he did. <laughs> yes, he did. It's fine. I'm going to get a new kitten. And she'll be on this Zero show. Zero to 60 in like four seconds, I, I think. Know, it's insane. Yeah, anyways. But as uh, you're saying that. <laughs> yeah, I'm jealous. As I'm saying that, we the car we traded in, so I don't know, he ended up coming home and they were going to do something with the new car. And it just as you say that, I said, oh, do we have to take, because it's like an hour away where he got the car. And he's like, I'm like, do we have to take the car back? And he's like, no, they're going to come and get it. And the first words out of my mouth were, for a car that price, they should, right? Yeah. Would I, if we bought a used, when I bought that used minivan for $4,000 and I hit everything and I didn't care. You remember that thing? I, oh, I do. Okay, it, I was a, was it a, it was a Quest, right? Yeah, Nissan Quest. Nissan Quest. It was barely a shell of a vehicle and I loved it. And I hit a few things and I was like, 
you know, you're driving, you're like, eh, whatever. It is what matter. it is. <laughs> um, that's the kind of car I like to have. But I wouldn't have even questioned if I had to, like, you know, they're yeah. not going to come pick up my tree. Like, you know, so the expectations are, are absolutely different. And the other thing I want to say about that that makes me, you know, think about pricing the experience when you said people want to know the pricing, uh, what comes to mind is we're going to go visit my daughter. She lives in a, uh, just happened to get her first job out of, uh, college in a very wealthy area of Montana. And she's a new grad. She's not wealthy yet, but she's, she's living She'll in this that, area for sure. And there's so many fun things to do there. And the experiences are amazing, but the price tags are really high. And so when you're looking, I, again, I'm looking at, some fun things to do over the holidays. Let me tell you what she gets to do for her, uh, for Christmas party. They are having dinner in a yurt at the top of a mountain. So they take a snow cat up to the top of a mountain and there's this yurt and they have food. You have to bring your own alcohol. When is she doing this? Uh, in December. Wow. Yeah. And I'm like, I want it right. But then you look at the price tag per person to be, snow catted up a mountain and have dinner at the top of a mountain in a yurt. And that's an amazing experience and it's worth every dime that they charge. But that's why I think people, the experience is your experience. The gentleman in the room, their experience is worth their price tag yep. and every, no one would disagree with that, but I might not be able to afford the yurt. I might have to eat at Chili's, yes. right? Because I just, would I love that? Oh, hundred percent. I'm not eating at Chili's by the way, but the next thing is how do you price yourself within the market? Um, we're going to talk about if you're brand new, if you're established, if you raise your price, how do you price yourself within the market that you're at? Okay. So basically the way I look at it and the good thing, at least in our area in this industry is that newer people that are coming into the industry, uh, are not undercutting the market. So number one, if you're new and you're coming into a market, you need to match your experience with your price. We'll talk about that and how you can come in at maybe a more medium level than like coming in really low. Sorry, I keep like no, slamming my face in my it. microphone, you guys. So, that's how we got the, the screens. <laughs> For real. They've all got to see my lack of tech technology skills. Yeah, I was going to, I was going to buy her microphone used on Craigslist cause I know how much abuse it was going to go through. <laughs> There's lipstick on it. It's fine. Yeah. Okay. I'll try not to hit it anymore. I just get so excited. So it'd be better to come in, get yourself some experience through shadowing, second shooting or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever, and come in at more of a midline price. As long as you can match the expectation than ever undercutting the market and coming in cheaper to book business, when you do that, do you realize what you've done? You screwed yourself and you're screwing everybody else in the industry when you come in and try to undercut. So do not do that. I would say right now people are doing the opposite. Agreed. Which is actually a good thing, sort of, sometimes not. So what I see is people are very confident coming in maybe a little higher than they should. Um. But I, but I think the opposite is worse. I really do. No, totally. I think undercutting the market is is bad. So don't undercut the market. If you are newer to the industry, come in at a mid-range, okay? Don't be the cheapest. Don't be, you can't, you know, afford to be, when I say you can't afford to be, you have to be really honest with yourself. The other piece about that, so we just kind of talked about where to come in on pricing, right? If you're new, come in get yourself some enough experience that you can 
sell yourself at a price point that's not undercutting the market. You know you're not playing ball with the big dogs yet. There's a place for you and, and it's going to be a solid yep. a solid price. The next thing is if you, you know, when should I raise my prices or can I raise my prices? There's a couple of factors there. First of all, is your volume of what you're booking more than you want to do or more than you can handle? Your calendar's full. If you are booked out two years from now, you should probably be raising your prices, right? Um, doing less work for the same, even the same amount of money is <laughs> a game changer. Anybody in our industry yep. knows where we burn out and we get exhausted is the number of events we take and the number of hours we put in. So if you can balance that out and raise your prices enough to where I did 30 weddings last year, I only have to do 25 this year and I'm going to make the same income. That's a beautiful thing. Then there's the second layer to this conversation. And this is where David and I were talking. We just had a, again, that's why you're hearing about this because we were talking about our pricing is that, um, our industry, I think our area right now, I feel really good. The prices are really solid. It makes it so we can sustain um, our livelihoods on this income and vendors, good vendors can have a really solid price. But if you said to yourself, I could raise my price another $500,000, but I don't know if not even that your value matches it, but clearly if your value doesn't match it, or if you're like, I just don't feel comfortable charging that. I, in a consultation, would like have this lump in my throat saying that price, I'm not going to be able to sell it. Right. Then don't do it. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. If you've got a price that's sustaining your business, it's solid, it's providing you with great income, your calendar is full, and you're in a consultation and you're like, when I say it, it rolls off my tongue. It's comfortable. There's no anxiety about it. You know, because if your price is too high, you'll know. You throw it out there and you're like, ah, yep. you know, you right? You feel it in your stomach like, oh, here it comes. Ooh, are you going to, you know, if then your price is too high for you, just for, there's another factor. There's another layer to that, right? And that's what David and I were talking about. And um, because you, you, that, that just doesn't feel right, you know? Yeah, I, I, I think the the amount of conversations we have with individuals that are, getting to a point in their business where maybe they've, maybe they've been in the industry for two or three years and they're like, ah, the leads aren't coming in like they used to, or I don't know if my price point is aligned in a competitive way or if my onboarding process is great or, you know, my execution is where it needs to be. That's where you need to start diving deeper into seeking either coaching or mentorship or, um, getting a second or third professional opinion on your business. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've been doing that and I've, I've done that with, with the two individuals in this room right now. Right. It's like when David first came on the scene, it's like, I knew he had it. Like I, I, his, his music curation and confidence and emceeing abilities, like all of that stuff was there, but sometimes you just need somebody's help to kind of shape them mm -hmm. Not, not just shape them for the season, but shape them for the next 10 years on here's what you can do right now. And here's how you can set your, your business up for the next five to 10 years. David, same thing. When he first kind of entered into the wedding industry, he had some experience, but then we met, he helped me out at a couple uh, wedding ceremonies, which I'm very grateful for. He handled the music while I officiated. And again, I knew he had it right. Professional, very passionate about what he does. Again, both of these guys are incredible, like DJs, DJs, like uh, doing things that I don't even do. Um, 
but maybe you need some help on on the sales approach or the educational side of, of, of what they're doing. And when you put all of those pieces together, now you have a brand and your brand now turns into a business. And when you have that brand and business that are kind of intertwined with one another, that's where you can have a lot of fun. I yeah. just, I, I think a lot of people are, a lot of wedding professionals after a couple years, they're, they just, they get lost a little bit. And I, I think it's important to have kind of that, that, that like a home base or a headquarters of like seeking out counsel and guidance and mm -hmm. other forms of leadership. You have that in every other industry. The wedding industry is kind of a weird one too, where there isn't a lot of, um, wedding professional performance coaches. You have that in the world of wealth advising. You have that in the world of real estate. You have that in the world of chiropractic. I mean, you have all of these resources that you can utilize where a lot of wedding professionals, they just kind of shut their door and they sit in a room by themselves and they wonder if they're going to survive. Why does it have to be that way? You know, so we, we do different things like an Ananellis mastermind with some other great wedding professionals and um, things like this podcast, obviously, that can help. Um, and then group and private coaching and stuff too, which I absolutely love to do. I know you it is well. so fun. It is so fun to talk to somebody and just help them navigate through, um, this, this industry and what, you know, they're doing and all that yep. good stuff. Yep. So the last thing that I think is worth talking about is if you do want to raise your price, you're at a point where you have the experience, the market can handle it. You're ready to increase your prices and you want to be able to show in a consultation the value, mm -hmm. right? Because um, we can, we do have to sell ourselves and talk about how valuable we are. But there's nice, it's nice to have some concrete things to say, hey, I'm worth this price tag. What are some ways that you can do that? Um, so the first things that come to mind for me are anything that doesn't cost you money, mm -hmm. right? You don't have to give away more things or more product, but can you give away some time? Venues, it's very easy for us to do that. We can give away extra time in our space. Uh, DJs could give away extra time. Photographers could give away extra time. Um, those kind of things, until you really settle into maybe that higher price tag, then you could always retract that, yeah. right? So giving away time is great. Um, giving away products that don't, again, cost you anything. Is it extra pictures? Is it a recording of your wedding song? You know, little things um, that don't cost extra time or excuse me, cost you extra money. Um, a caterer might say, hey, we could provide uh, a higher end, you know, display of something for your desserts or we can bring cake stands or we can set this up, you know, whatever. Make a list for yourself as a vendor. What are things that I could give away it's not going to cost me money. I either have them. It's my time. It's, you know, I could make beautiful menus for you and project it on the screen, whatever it is. Yep. Those are the easiest things. They are. Add. I think that's kind of defined as like a value added proposition for a client. Yeah. Right. It's like you go into the double tree. They always have cookies there. Right. It's like yeah. just little things like mm -hmm. that. I mean, how many times have you heard somebody talk about the double tree and their cookies? How much do you think those cookies cost them? Nothing. I mean, Probably nothing. Very, no. I mean, they cost them something, something, but nothing in the grand scheme. Of things. Right. It's yeah. like, what can you add to the experience that is going to undeniably elevate the experience, but at the same time, doesn't cost you a ton of time and a ton of money. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe as a DJ, you can throw an uplighting at no additional cost, or um, you can structure your contract where it's of value to a client where you're not necessarily charging more for a ceremony 
but you're making that up on the back end. Or, um, I mean, the list can go on and on based on the business that you're in, but I think you said it perfectly. Take time to figure out how you're going to be different than the year before. Mm -hmm. If the goal is to make 30% more or 25% more, or you want to find ways to scale, then being able to curate a much better experience than years past is something that is imperative. And that's the challenge a lot of businesses have is they don't know how to do that. They're tired and they're stressed and they're just trying to get through the wedding season. And before you know it, they're no longer around in this industry because they haven't taken time to treat their business like a freaking business. Absolutely. We will be reevaluating again, you know, come end of the year, January 1st, we're going to dig in and reevaluate and grow and change. You have to. Well, your venues, you do that quite often Mm -hmm. and any major changes are a major expense. But if you want to stay somewhat relevant, if you want to stay competitive, if you want to build in different pockets of value, you've got to do what you got to do. Um, And so, yeah, again, I, I will reiterate as we kind of close things out and lay on the plane here. If you are somebody that is listening or somebody that is watching and you are in the wedding industry or the event industry and you feel like you've been spinning your wheels for the last year or two, or maybe you're coming out of this wedding season and you're like, there was nothing about that wedding season that was efficient or man, I feel like I'm giving stuff away or, Oh, I feel like I'm charging too much. You know, there's mm-hmm. both sides of that spectrum there. Reach out to us. We can help. We love can absolutely help. help. We love to help. try to provide as much free content as we possibly can throughout these podcasts. But for those that want to dive even deeper into their business, that is to me, some of the most enjoyable conversations to have. I've had those conversations with these guys that are here today and um, it it fires both of us uh, because there is a lot of success to be found in this industry if you can navigate things the right way. And I I do think there is a recipe that you can follow. I I think about this all the time, typically like when I'm in the shower. I don't know if you have shower thoughts, but that's where I start to get very introspective as far as like just being (laughs) in the shower, just sitting there. Um, and it's like, if I were to start a wedding business tomorrow, how would I do it? And I've written it out and both physically and then mentally in my mind. And there is absolutely a way to do it very, very quickly. And at the same time, convert that into a ton of sustainability where you don't have to think twice about the competition. Yeah, absolutely. Those are the conversations we love to have. They are. And that's the exciting part as we're winding down this wedding season and people are tired. It's you guys were in an exciting time uh, as far as the wedding industry goes. We came back from COVID, right? We're all still here. We're all still standing. This is an industry that you can make a living out of for sure. It's a, it's being recognized more and more for our professionalism and our expertise. And that's just really, really exciting. Yeah. But it does take that level of commitment in that work. And we're, we love, like you said, we love to help. I've, consulted other venue owners around the country and oh my gosh I that's one of my most you know fun hour on a phone call is just you know how did how did you do this what do you do because we've been through it too. yeah so yeah there's just certain things you're not able to figure out on your own but if you refuse to ask for help if you refuse to sign on to some sort of coaching or mentorship program it's tough yeah it's it really is. really tough so find a strategic it. network for sure so um it. 
this was fun. This we'll see was you, fun. We'll see you next week. Yeah, sounds good. All right, I'll thanks, be guys. Here. Be sure you are liking, subscribing. Uh, follow us on Instagram, Facebook. If you are uh, a fan of the podcast, be sure you are leaving a review. Uh, throw us a five-star rating on Spotify. All of those things help us out a lot. So we're very appreciative to the silent audience, but we would like you guys to make some noise for sure. So we'll see you next week. Thank you, guys. Bye. Guys. Bye.